Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Raging Demon, Masked Llama, Ozzy Garcia, Keith Gasper, and Mera. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 101 of Retro Hangover. podcast where we are undoubtedly ultimately unyielding using unused unilateral undying utilities this is episode 101 of retro hangover i am your co-host chris copeline with special guest ozzy garcia and as always your host pedic <laughs> your host shane Pedantically paced Dick Dragon Koski. You know, I'm not entirely sure what unilateral utilities are, but they seem very <laughs> functional. Yeah, yeah, they're very seem utilitarian. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they're effortlessly efficient. I, I love your alliteration, man. I it, honestly it's one of my favorite parts. I look forward to what else you're gonna come up with. Uh just meaningless sentences that sound good. <laughs> <laughs> They make sense to no one. Mm. I think that didn't come off as clever as I thought. (laughs) In any case, this is episode 101, I I think. So thank you for joining us for episode 100. Pretty sure. (laughs) We hope. (laughs) Uh, But Ozzy, thank you for joining us. Like you've been on a lot of our recorded guidance anyway. They're going to get out there. But you've been with us, uh, done some recordings on the show before. And welcome to the main show. Thanks, man. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, guys. And uh, I guess I've been promoted. Um, No fanfare. uh, But, you know, it's kind of I think this is the first time that I'm going to show up like for most listeners, because I don't think any of the other recordings we've done have come out yet. So um, no, I'm, it, I'm it, hoarding them all <laughs> like a dragon. Would you say <laughs> I, uh, one might say, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it kind of feels weird. Like I'm out of time, you know, like the loop is just all messed up because, um, you know, I've been on other episodes, but this is kind of like the first chronologically first episode that, you know, I'm on. So thank you guys. I'm, I'm really humbled and uh, honored to be part of this uh, podcast, this fine podcast that you guys have put together. Well, we're humbled to have you. We don't even know what to say to that now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm just so flattered. <laughs> In case you don't know, uh, Ozzy was, uh, was one of the permanent hosts of the region free gamers podcast, which actually ties into something really well right now. Mm. We have officially come out with the King of games 2000 for all our Patreons. Uh, so even at the lowest tier at uh, what $1 a month, you can get all the King of games 2000 plus all our $1 a month content. Uh, th- that content will be available on after January 6th of 2022, 
But right now, that's all exclusive to our patrons. So if you want to head over to Patreon and listen to that tournament, which is completely with the Region Free Gamers podcast, and you could go to their Patreon, too, if you don't like us, because fuck <laughs> us. But uh, you can you can go to them and you why can not get both? it through their Patreon, too. Yeah, why not both? Okay. But uh, if it needs to be either or, you can do that. It's, it's a fun time. Can I plug it, Chris and Shane? I mean, I, I just I just want to say as a supporter of both podcasts, it's not just that I have a vested interest in the podcast succeeding, but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I love this concept. Um, when originally in the Region Free Gamers podcast, we did the 98 tournament, which was, you know, really, really fun, but just extremely difficult to put together uh, because it was basically just Paul just doing all the editing. Um, it, it really was a, a, a runaway success. I mean, everyone loved it. There was so much heated discussion. And then when you guys proposed doing a, another round, I mean, I remember I was still involved in the podcast at the time. And Paul was like, well, you know, I mean, we can do it because now we can share editing duties. So so I'm just really glad that you guys put it together. I'm, I'm sure having a little bit of knowledge about how things are going to go in the tournament, I'm sure that people are going to rage. So, <laughs> um, so really, <laughs> if you want to get ahead of that and, and you don't want to have it spoiled by anyone inadvertently, um, you know, get on it because from what I understand, you guys are not going to release it to like the general audience until later on. Mm -hmm. So get in on the Patreon action, you know, because it's it's going to be really fun. Get in on the conversation. There's a lot of hype right now. Um, you guys set up a, like a private dedicated Discord server for debating. Um, I'm sure that's going to be very civil. So, oh, so. absolutely. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's already been thoroughly entertaining, especially to someone who <laughs> knows how this whole thing went down. S seeing the the predictions and like the 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 tears that people are putting together i'm just oh, like yeah. ah just it, it's like wait. a slow motion train wreck like you're, <laughs> you're seeing it you're seeing that it's gonna happen and you're mm. like okay but it's actually gonna be worse than i probably expected <laughs> um so so yeah man i mean I'm, I'm really glad you guys are doing it uh by by the time that we're recording the first episode and the second episode came out the first episode was pokemon Shane, um, I love your Darwinian Darwinian approach to you know Pokemon. Um, <laughs> it, it was it was awesome, um, and I think ultimately the right choice was made. You know whatever I that agree. was. Uh, of course but, you do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad that you guys are putting it together. I had to listen to the second episode, but uh, but yeah, man, I'm really glad that you guys are putting that together. Oh, thanks, man. And uh, you will be part of that later on in the series as well. So. Yeah, I'm 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 like really really worried that I'm gonna piss off so many people because yeah, <laughs> I, I, I ever since I recorded that, I feel very I, I wouldn't say very bad. I just kind of regret, you know, like I usually do. I went overboard hating on a particular game <laughs> at least it wasn't xenogears yeah and, and 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 it just so happens to be the game that ended up advancing to the finals <laughs> so, so so it's a beloved game so i i kind of feel like i'm gonna get a lot of hate for it so i'm just kind of bracing myself for it <laughs> <laughs> all right i mean we look forward to that but we'll start out this episode we'll keep you on the hot seat there ozzy and uh, we'll talk about what games have you been playing lately what you've been up to uh yeah man i mean uh as you guys know i mean sometimes you know for me nowadays it's a little bit harder to to get my game you know game time in so i've been doing a lot of game adjacent things like i just finished reading sid meyer's memoirs mm. and that was really cool i mean i i you know i've always kind of admired sid meyer <laughs> wow that was that was really good uh from <laughs> afar um but i kind of wanted to know a little bit more about his game design philosophy and the like and and you know i just kind of wanted to see the trajectory of his career and 
you know, it was a good book. I, I think that it was interesting. I think that he made it very engaging. It, it wasn't really like nuts and bolts. Uh, it, it wasn't really like, hey, I'm going to go into, I don't know, Sid Meier's colonization and, you know, really explore how every decision was made. It's more like, hey, so then we did this game and and he just kind of gives you a little tidbit of something he learned in that particular production. Uh, so it, it makes for a very breezy read. It's like 200 and something pages and it's very quick. So it was it was a fun time. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, in terms of games, I started playing about a week back uh, The Takeover on Switch, which is literally Streets of Rage with the serial code filed off. Like, it, they're not even, <laughs> like, trying to hide it. <laughs> it's just like you start, nice. you start in the same level. You have, like, the same character types. It's, it's basically Streets of Rage. And uh, it's cool because the, the the combat is great. Like the beat em up feels crunchy as a beat em up should. You know, it has a story. The thing about it is that I I, I really don't like the art style. Um, it, you know, the art style is kind of really off putting in a way. And and there's there are cutscenes and and the hand drawn cutscenes are just not to my liking. Um, and they're very kind of jarring with uh, the the art style and the aesthetics of the actual gameplay. Um, but, you know, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing through, you know, that game and, and it's probably not too long. But last night I also played, um, I started playing, let me see if I get this right, Monster Boy in the Cursed Kingdom and the Cursed Kingdom. Mm. It's really hard to get like all the naming conventions of like the Wonder Boy, Wonder Land, Monster World <laughs> um, series down. But um, really, really fun game. Like I, I really was surprised at how good that game, you know, felt. You know, when I started playing it last night and and contrary to the takeover, like really, really good art style, like very good hand run animation, very reminiscent of like the Wonder Boy um, remake that, that came out a few years ago. But, you know, c- compared to that game, um, it's designed, you know, in modern times. And so it, it feels like it has, you know, made a lot of progress and, and, and it feels like it incorporates the progress that has been made over the last 30 years of game design and so it feels like a fuller more complete game than the the wonder boy remake so definitely you know you guys if if you you know i, I think chris you you picked it up on limited run games i did um so so definitely give it a go you know definitely open it crack open that uh that collector's edition it's really really nice brings a cloth map in it so um it, it just feels like a very well put together game and and like really a love letter to to the wonder boy monster world series so so yeah man that's that's what i've been playing lately yeah collectors and their schrodinger's cloth maps (laughs) and their schrodinger's (laughs) soundtracks yeah yeah but it's sealed man and they can they can get a great water deal on it and it's uh it's ready to go it's ready to be water graded <laughs> what is like the worst thing that's happened to video games i hope that by the time that this releases like wada is already like indicted for like securities fraud and shit um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean it's probably gonna be like i don't know like three weeks from now but but i hope that that's enough time for like the southern district of new york to just kind of do their thing and, and put something together um here's hoping yeah one can dream <laughs> how about you shane Oh man, let me tell you, it's almost like, well, actually this is a little, this is more apropos for this episode than I had first realized, but, um, it's almost as if it is the year 2000 again, my friends, <laughs> for many reasons, Good year. one of which being I've been playing a shitload of Diablo two. 
<laughs> As I'm sure most folks know, uh, Diablo 2 resurrected the the HD remaster of of the classic looting game as it is um just came out well actually what is it i guess two weeks ago now ish something like that man that's like that's pretty much all i've been playing except for you know the uh the, the namesake for today's episode of course but i've already got like four characters that i've been playing through and turns out that game's still good <laughs> despite what uh evidently a lot of folks in our king of games 2000 discord would like to believe they don't think warrior needs food i'm definitely not <laughs> salty about any of that discussion whatsoever <laughs> but no nah, man I've been, I've been having a lot of fun with it how did they handle are you playing it on pc so i i i am a wow. i am a simp for diablo as it turns out and i i have it on pc and on my switch and i play it on both can you cross transfer characters yep and save data mm -hmm. oh that's awesome yeah that's the big reason that i did that um I, so i bought it first on pc as is tradition you know that's it's the right way to go also because i kind of wanted to wait like a day to see what the feedback was about the switch version because there was no beta on the switch unlike the other platforms so the switch given what it is i kind of wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to run like total garbage and uh no it's uh it's it's pretty pretty buttery smooth it, it plays really well and the funny thing is is like diablo 2 was the only entry in the diablo series that never had a console release the first one did on the playstation and then of course diablo 3 was cross-platform on pretty much everything so now it's finally got its console like counterpart and you know surprisingly it actually plays really well the only thing i would argue did not make the translation was inventory management that sucks ass but like they had figured out how to do that right in diablo 3 but they decided vicarious visions decided not to mess with it for the remaster of two and so you still kind of have to move a cursor around with your analog stick in order to like yeah. organize your inventory and that's yeah. that's rough yeah. but outside of that though i've been i've been having a really good time with it and besides um an inordinate amount of diablo 2 I uh, I have begun playing Drakengard on my PS2 because uh, the short version of the story, when my wife and I went on our little road trip this past summer, we stopped at a family member's house and their partner just like had a copy of Drakengard on their shelf. <laughs> and I was like, dude, that that's awesome. Like, I, do you know, like that that game is worth a lot of money? And he's like, uh, no. He's like, I just played it when I was a kid. I still have it. Like, I liked it. So I hung on to it. I'm like, oh, that's that's really awesome. And he was just like, yeah, you can borrow it if you want. Like, if you want to play it. I'm like, you, this game is like $200. You, you know that, right? He's like, yeah, just, you know, bring it back sometime. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, Um, yes, I will do that. Is it that expensive right now? Yeah, yeah, man. That yeah. game is not cheap. Yeah, because I have it. I don't have the manual, but I, I didn't realize that it had gotten that expensive. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I, okay, so the, the thing is, is like I started looking into that after I finished playing Nier, right? Because I was just like, oh, well, I want to know, you know, what led up to this and, you know, all that good stuff because it's all related. And uh, yeah, I was like, well, guess I'll never know because I'm not going to pay like $250 for this game. But yeah, I just happened upon a copy of it. So uh, I'm trying to get it done before Thanksgiving because the family's all 
descending upon our area for the holiday and um he will be here (laughs) yeah yeah and i want to give it back to him like i don't think he'll care like he's super nonchalant about it but like i want to make sure that i return it to him because i don't know when the next time is i'm going to see him and i feel weird about borrowing someone's like two three hundred dollar video game so i'm trying to finish it but without going into a full like rapid fire review here or anything i have a I'm having a hard time. It's um, it's not a good game, man. <laughs> it's this. not great. <laughs> not really that good of a game. <laughs> it's really not. And I was like, I'm kind of disappointed because, you know, yeah, it's not in the air. It's not in the air. It's sure. not at all. <laughs> like, as soon as I got into it, I was just like, oh, this is this is clunky. Like, what am I even supposed to do? And then they're just like, oh, you're getting your ass handed to you. Well, you could go and grind the levels you played before over and over again. And I'm like, oh. Oh no. <laughs> so that's how that's going. It's a worse version of Dynasty Warriors, essentially. Um, yeah. For, for the most part. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And you know what? I wouldn't, I w- actually wouldn't have an issue with that if it wasn't for the fact that the controls are just complete ass. Yeah. It was made by Kavia, and, and Kavia is a developer that has shown up quite a lot uh, on the Region Free Gamers podcast in our Bad Games episodes. Uh, <laughs> great because <laughs> they did such great gems as beat down fist of vengeance um but then they did near and and that kind of redeemed them for a bit um and then they went under because they weren't very good at what they did <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's kind of yoko taro that's where he worked and that's where he was able to do his crazy shit you know with multiple endings and the like but in terms of like their game design and and the technical aspects they weren't they were pretty much a a, a a B-tier developer. Uh, so I, I remember playing Dragon Guard way back. I rented it from Blockbuster. And even back then I was like, ooh, this is, uh, it's it's not very good, huh? But, you know, I'm glad you're playing it, man. I mean, I, I, I hear that the story is all kinds of insane. Well, I wouldn't know because I haven't got far enough to see <laughs> damn near anything yet because it's just like, go grind. I'm like, great. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, that's that's me, man. Uh, it's mostly just been those two things uh, for, for, for the most part. Diablo 2 has been dominating everything. But um, what about you, Chris? You're you're still kind of on the road, right? So like, what have, what have you been doing to pass the time? There's no fucking kind of about it. I'm definitely <laughs> on the road. And right now I'm just uh, hold up. Uh, stuck here in North Carolina, mm. east or west? Uh, east. I'm in right now. I'm uh, right outside Camp Lejeune in Jacksonville, North Carolina. So, yeah, I'm in Jacksonville. Nice, <laughs> another Jacksonville. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but before that, I was in Virginia. I'm here for another two weeks, and then I go back up to Virginia, and I'm there for a month, and then I head back down to my my home, Jacksonville. So, yeah, it's a it's a nice little jaunt that I'm on two and a half month jaunt. We tried to get as many recordings done before I left, but, you know, it just can't work out that way because of all the shifting and shit. So as as far as what I've been up to, I started playing after we recorded the Alice episode. I started playing Illusion of Gaia, which Shane lent to me and Shane, like even said, just take it. I don't know. It was like, is it, I don't know if it's cursed or something, but um, <laughs> it's it's fun. 
I had a good time with it. I mean, I was just, I was literally just giving it to you. Like it's yours now. Like I don't, I just, it's not like a fucking monkey paw or anything. I just don't. <laughs> I was about to say, did like the, did like the pins all curl and they said you have to get rid of it or, uh, <laughs> no, nah, it's just like, it's one of those things where I just don't, you have much more reverence for physical copies of games. So I figure you would appreciate it more. Like if I want to play it, I'll oh, just I do. emulate it. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I do appreciate it. And thank you. I was having fun with it, but then I went on the road. I wasn't able to get through it all. So then I got on the road. I started playing a bunch of games for the show because I took my Wii U with me and my PC with me. So I was able to play that. And I will say that the game that we're doing for next week episode, was it uh, Ghouls and Ghosts? Ghouls and Ghosts. Not Ghosts and Goblins, Ghouls and Ghosts. Mm. I brought the fucking wrong controller with me. So I brought this like power a PlayStation three controller with me with a jank ass D pad. And that was rough, but I'll talk more about (laughs) that game. That's already horrendously difficult. Yeah. I'll talk more about that on the next episode though. We'll get into it there. So after I got done with all the games uh, for the podcast, I started playing final fantasy two pixel remaster and Yes, I have to say this. Everyone does have to say it before ever talking about Final Fantasy 2. This is the Japanese Final Fantasy 2, the one that's more like Saga than Final Fantasy. And I fucking love the game. I know it's busted. I know it has its issues. I know it's imperfect. But every single time I play Final Fantasy 2, I love it more and more and more. I realize just how far ahead of the curve it was in terms of storytelling, especially for, you know, an early JRPG. Uh, super somber, super depressing, but like, that's not something you would really expect from a game of that era, Mm -hmm. especially with the limited space considerations. You just weren't getting it on an NES, maybe on the PC, but certainly not on the NES. So I I have a really big appreciation for it. And I don't hate the leveling system as much as everyone else does. Just, just play the game. Don't try to cheese it and you'll, you'll do fine. I'll try and get a more fleshed out review for every but for the patrons and everybody but i'll just say like look just go play the game play the pixel remaster first and foremost don't play the fucking nes version if you do you're an idiot <laughs> but play the pixel remaster play donna souls if you have to i'm having a great time with it and uh i don't know what i'm going to play after that i'm probably going to stay with the final fantasy pixel remasters or go to like an east title i don't know i just have a huge backlog and i have a lot of time to knock it out while i'm here so i'll do what i can Yeah, I was going to say, I I feel like given how our schedule is shaping up into the next year, I I feel like East might be a might be a good choice. Yeah, I might wait to get home and and use my TurboGrafx-16 Mini Mm. because I have the original one on that. Ah. Uh, I also have the Sega Master System physical copy I could use for a comparison. So I'll just wait until I get home in November and then start playing East. I've played East one in the PC before, and it's a really good game. So I'm really looking forward to playing the originals. But I'm not playing those now, so I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> Fucking play Final Fantasy 2. I, I, it gets a lot of hate. Uh, one of our patrons, uh, also a host of the main quest, did an episode on it on, on his show. And he played the NES version. And that's an example of why you should not play that version. So go play the any remaster of that game. It'll be a much better time. Well, there you go. All right. So I, I guess that's it for what we've been playing lately. Uh, so, yeah, went kind of longer as usual, which is fun. It's a good time. <laughs> I guess you could say our conversation was on dying. Ah, <laughs> the segue. Much like our game this episode, which is Clive's Barker on Undi- Clive Bark, just Clive Barker on dying. No, Clive Barker's 
undying. The lives Clive Barker. Barker. The Barker that belongs to Clive. Clive's Clive's Barker. <laughs> Clive barks up trees. Uh, <laughs> but Shane, seeing as you are the one who wants to talk about this spooky episode in the month of October. Yes. How about you give us a brief history of Clive's Barker undying? <laughs> As it turns out, if you're an acclaimed horror film writer, director, and producer that decides to branch out into the world of video games, you tend to get what you want. In the year 2000, Clive Barker, perhaps most notably of Hellraiser fame, approached Electronic Arts with an idea for a first-person shooter set in a haunting early 1900s world with strong themes of the occult. As he is wont to do, Barker would both pen the script and act as producer for the project. This would not be a game begun from scratch, however. Developer DreamWorks Interactive, who would get absorbed and become EA Los Angeles by the time of release, had already started development on a project with Steven Spielberg in early 1999 that never came to fruition. This foundation would be what Barker would build upon, though the results would look nothing like the team's original vision. For example, the main protagonist would be overhauled from an all-powerful superhuman to a much more relatable Irishman. Development would be handed over to a relatively unproven team, with many folks taking on major roles for the first time in their career. The game would ultimately be dubbed Clive Barker's Undying, which communicates the game's central narrative, while also unabashedly relying on some serious name recognition. Undying would see release for Windows PC on February 21st of 2001, and Mac OS on June 11th of the same year. A PlayStation 2 port was planned, but never managed to see the light of day. Reviews were generally positive, with a few reviewers stating that while they appreciated the atmosphere, it eventually just lost its momentum. Unfortunately, the game was a total commercial flop. Undying's sales were so low that EA had to scrap a planned multiplayer patch in addition to completely canceling a planned sequel. In the end, Undying became a relatively unknown cult favorite. I suppose you could say that for those select few, the game truly lives up to its name. And that is your very brief history of Clive Barker's Undying. We just can't kill the pun for this name, nope. can we? <laughs> nope, it just, man, it just keeps, the puns are flying. <laughs> keeps coming back. <laughs> uh, so I guess you can tell the brief history is rather short and uh, I need to thank Ozzy a lot for pointing some things out and giving me some sites uh, about how to, you know, look up a little bit more into brief histories of games because there is like absolutely nothing about this. Yeah, with with games like this, like you really have to go deep, uh, you know, into like movie games and, you know, like Clive Barker fandom wikis, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. Some really <laughs> dusty GeoCities page somewhere. Yeah, like ancient tomes um, <laughs> or the like 
I will point out that you know DreamWorks, um, it, it was a studio that was founded by Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. So, so this was you know eventually it was absorbed by EA, but they did do the Medal of Honor series, which was by the way produced by Steven Spielberg. So, um, and they also did Jurassic World: Trespasser. Um, which I know has a, a cult following, to say the least. The funny thing is that compared to the Medal of Honor games, this this team really was done by by a bunch of folks, you know, that didn't seem to have been in in the director's position or producer's position in the past. And uh, I think most of them came from the Typhoon Wrath of the Tiger team. If you guys remember that game on the PS One. Um, no. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, based on what I saw, I think that's where they came from. And then, you know, after Undying came out, um, I think they were put on on development duties for Medal of Honor Frontlines on the PS2. Um, so, you know, they, they went on to be a decent team. Um, I think by this time, the guys that, that went on to form Infinity Ward and do the Call of Duty series had already left. Um, so part of it may have been that the team was relatively in flux at the time mm-hmm. and, and they just had, you know, Medal of Honor, Allied Assault on one side and the A team was working on that and uh, and the, the B team was working on Undying. Um, and, and you can definitely, I mean, we're, we're, we'll get into it, but you can definitely tell that it's a team kind of going through growing pains in, in a way. I, I think, you know, for a first effort, Chris, I mean, as, as we've talked about separately, I think that it's it's mm-hmm. admirable, but you could definitely see that mistakes were made uh, in a way (laughs) i I, yeah i think you look at the history of it too and just by what you're describing this was kind of a a salvage product that ea was kind of like well shit we have all these assets we've built something up and we got an endorsement from a major name we just let's get something out to market and like you said we'll get into it but with all those considerations at least that's how it looks a framework and i'm not saying that's how it was but just looking at how it came to be i think the end result it could have been much much worse yeah, I mean, yeah. this could have been like a worst games of all time candidate, you know, if, if it had been it released, could have been. you know, in, would, any, yeah, in any other that. circumstance. Uh, I mean, so the fact that they managed to put out a playable game and, and a game that, you know, did receive some sort of cult following and, and it's still well regarded. And, and I still see from time to time people saying, hey, Clyde Barkerson Dying's Reserve deserves a remake. Um, someone should do it with like modern conventions and modern graphics and so forth. So, so it's it's definitely you know good that that they managed to put something out that doesn't kill your PC, um, that managed to kind of stand up to the the games of the time. Um, you really had to put yourself in 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 the perspective of you know two thousand two thousand one to appreciate this game. It's it's definitely a game that you need to put yourself in that mind frame, because otherwise you're gonna struggle through it. But um, yeah, we can get into that later. So so for personal experiences, I know Shane, we we kind of just rolled over you there and just told you to shut up and sit in a corner for a second, but we'll bring you back uh, into the fold because, <laughs> because I think you have the most amount of personal experience with the game. I'll, I'll just kind of go first and say, I never heard of this game until Shane put it on our list for episodes to do. That's my personal experience with it. This is my first time seeing it, touching it, loading it up ever. Like I did not even know this game existed until I don't know, earlier this year. I'm like, what the fuck is this game? And Shane's like, yeah, it's good. Play it. I'm like, okay. Had you at least seen any like Clyde Barker? Like have you seen Hellraiser, for example? Uh you have any familiarity with uh with him? <sighs> I this is going to be a shameful ad- admission here. I've never watched a Hellraiser movie. Oh man. Well, you know what? We're we're at the perfect time of year for you to do that. Except I'm not in the perfect place to do that, unfortunately. <laughs> what are you talking about? Just like, I mean, it's probably on Netflix or, I don't know, Amazon Prime, or you can find it. 
<laughs> I'll have to look for it. So I, I don't know if I have necessarily like a broad, you know, depth of experience with it or anything like that. But I mean, it was one that I played, you know, when it maybe not immediately when it came out, but right, right around that time period. It was it was the early 2000s. I recall this is part of the reason that I added it to our episode list um, to to get it in for our, you know, our annual spooptober. Uh, just because I recall liking it quite a bit. Um, I, I played through it from beginning to end at least at least two or three times that I can that I can remember. And I always enjoyed it. I think the biggest thing that drew me to it, per- perhaps unsurprisingly, is just the the atmosphere. Um, you know, Clive Barker is uh, turns out he's pretty good at doing that. And that really gets communicated fairly well, I think, in this game. Um, honestly, it's it's probably one of its biggest strengths. Um, which we will talk about in a moment. But yeah, I mean, listen, man, it was the early aughts, right? So that was right around the time where, you know, I was perhaps one might say at peak edge. And uh, so this was right up my alley, you know? I mean, we're we're talking about this. We were talking about Alice, which came out right around the same time. So um, it's just, things were just real hot topic-y for a while. You know what I'm saying? Probably a lot of new metal, new metal going yes, on at the yeah, time. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd have my 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 corn CD in my Walkman and also playing this game. Um, <laughs> if that paints a picture for any of you out there. Perfectly. <laughs> this Lincoln Park hoodie. Yeah. You know, I never had any Lincoln Park merch, surprisingly. Oh. I had this really sweet long sleeve like Adidas knockoff like corn shirt that I actually kind of wish I still had. I'm not going to lie. That would be funny. But yes, so that would be my personal experiences with it. I, I have I have very fond memories of it that may or may not still hold up. Um, but uh, yeah, what about you, Ozzy? Like what what was what was your experience with this back well, in the day? Unlike you, Shane, I mean, I wasn't a PC gamer back in the day. I, I also was like 12. Fair. So I, you know, we had like the family PC. We played a lot of the Sims and, and, and stuff like that. But um, but I couldn't play like the more uh, graphics intensive games like at the time on Dying. Uh, so I, I didn't play this, but I did read a lot about it. Um, I think back in 2000, which for some reason, I always think this game came out in 2000. But then I recall it's because I, I read the previews in GamePro. Um, if you recall that I was an avid game pro reader back reader back in the day, uh, uh, I didn't know better. So <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, so I, I had I had seen uh, screenshots, I had read about it. I, I this is the first like instance where I became aware of who Clive Barker was. Mm. And then I think I, I read some more stuff on on the old IGN. Um, I think I saw like a quick time video of the trailer. Uh, oh god a quick time video (laughs) that takes me back i'm trying i'm trying to conjure those images man it's like a postage stamp sized Mm. video yeah it's great (laughs) which which took like i think like 45 minutes to download um if if you recall (laughs) that uh because i was on the 56k line that's sweet 240p oh wow but I never, I never played it, and uh, and then when when good old games released it, um, I I picked it up, and uh, I I played, I popped it up, I fired it up because I was always fascinated by it. I think it was the the Clive Barker like name ID that that really hooked me, and uh, and the fact that it didn't seem like a game that looked like other games that were releasing at the time, and and so I. I fired it up and uh i played through the first like i don't know hour of the mansion and and i remember having good memories of it 
but I didn't keep playing. And and so that kind of like sealed, you know, in like stasis, my perception of, of Undying. And I remember when, when Chris mentioned that we were going to record this episode, I was like, oh man, you, you're probably going to like it. Like it's, it has like a really good atmosphere, like, um, you know, like the, the mansion in, in particular, like the estate, mm-hmm. like it has all the, the thunder and, and the windows are like with the, the drapes, uh, you know, being uh, flown by the wind, et cetera. And, and, and it's, it just makes a very good first impression. So, so that was my experience until, you know, I came on board this episode and, and I decided to finally give it a real earnest go. Um, and I did not finish it, um, uh, full disclosure. Uh, for reasons that I can get into later. Um, but I did get pretty far into it, probably about halfway through the game. So I think I have a, a sense of what the game is about and, and what it holds and, and its pros and cons. All right. Well, there you go. All right. So I guess um, in lieu of, you know, Chris's more creative segues, because I just I can't you know what? I'm just going to admit I, I just can't live up to those. I just I don't know how to find. I don't know I'll, how to do I'll it. I'll try and power this through. We, we could probably move on to talking a little bit about the plot and writing of the game, because, I mean, if for nothing else, right, this is something that was backed by an actual author and a and a, a movie producer and, and et cetera, et cetera, director and director, what have you. Yeah. So if, yeah. you know, if, if there's anything that we should be talking about here, I feel like it's the writing. So with that being said, I suppose, uh, Chris, what are, what, are, what are your feelings about how this uh how this story unfolds. I, I think it, it sets up really nice. Like uh, the, the writing itself, the, the way that, that it establishes what's going on in the beginning of the game, the, the character motivations for the most part. And uh, other than the fact that somehow your occult fighting main character is a skeptic. I mean, other than that, everything kind of really makes it, it gels and it sets you off on a, like it sets you off on an adventure. It's really well-written. It's really well formulated and as you play the game um and i I saw you brought this up in the notes too shane it's just the game wants to tell you everything through notes that you find all over the place and sometimes this can be this can be a good thing for establishing kind of like a back lore or stuff like that and and when we talked about mist it was kind of the same way like everything you found out about the island of mist and what was going on there was all through these books that you found in the library right so this is just kind of a pc game trope of the time and it's probably what people were expecting through through their games is the plot and the exposition would be told through these books and to be fair like these books are written very well uh gives you a very good idea of what's going on in the game uh so the plot itself the writing itself i think i think is good i I just i think by the time it gets midway through the game and we'll get more to this in the gameplay it kind of loses sense of what it's trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. and just just kind of becomes a meandering mess but that's not because there was a lack of effort to try it all together. That's more through just kind of what the game, the gameplay does to the plot itself. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. And yeah, I mean, I did make a particular note of that, that, you know, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, the the writing quality, um, both in the dialogue and in, in the journal entries that you sort of find strewn about the estate is exceptionally well done. I mean, like I felt like, okay, like full disclosure. And I think this isn't a surprise because like I've said this before, especially when we were talking about mist and we've probably brought this up on some other occasions that uh, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of the like find entry logs to determine more exposition sort of thing. I, I feel like it's lazy in a lot of ways. 
And a lot of them aren't necessarily written particularly well so that it's really going to keep you engaged. But these do like I, I actually like unironically enjoy reading the the journal entries that you come across in this game because they are very well written and they do a good job of, you know, fleshing out the backstory and giving you more of an idea of what led up to, you know, the the events that you are you know currently experiencing. And so. I think that was well done. Um, it wasn't an overplayed trope at the time that this game came out. So, you know, you kind of have to take that into consideration, I think. And also, it's one of the few places that I feel like this is actually thematically accurate. Like the we had this discussion about yeah. other games like Doom 3 is a perfect example, right? Where it's just like who the fuck in like the f space future is leaving these text or audio logs behind nobody nobody does that now just before they die <laughs> yeah and no they do it's called twitter <laughs> uh, okay yeah well, that's a whole other discussion <laughs> but but nobody even does that today so it just feels forced it feels like a game mechanic and this this was in a period this is set in the in the 1920s where folks still did write personal journals quite often. It was it was a normal thing that a lot of people did. And so that makes sense thematically. And that I don't know, maybe that makes me a fucking nerd. But like I that actually means something to me that your game mechanic has like an in-universe sensible explanation. And so the whole like journal entry thing, I feel like gets a pass here because of those reasons. I can understand that. I would say it's, it's to me, it was my favorite part of the game. You know, just reading the journal entries. I mean, it, it did feel like this was Patrick Galloway, who's the lead protagonist, just writing down his impressions and saying, you know, hey, this is what's happening or this is what I found. Like I found the Tibetan hand cannon um, or, or the like. I mean, the only thing is that it, that's where you most keenly feel the disconnect between Patrick as he's uh, portrayed in the cutscenes as a skeptic and Patrick, the one in the journal that just picked up like an ectoplasm or something like that. And it's yeah. going to fire like hand bullets. <laughs> you know, with like magic and, and stuff. And so there's a really huge disconnect between the journal entries, which my impression is that that this game is, is a game that's constantly struggling with the game that it was supposed to be and the game that Clive Barker eventually ended up like turning it into. Mm -hmm. And so you feel like the journal entries are like Clive Barker just putting down, you know, the, the universe that he's putting together. Whereas the gameplay is just a team like, hey, like, you know, like we made this game design choice for the character to like throw fucking you know like magic bullets from his hands <laughs> literal skulls <laughs> yeah so so and he needs to like wield this scythe and 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 he has like this sixth sense and so that's where you see like the narrative disconnect most keenly and and in terms of the plot i mean i i like the plot i mean it's it's one of those things where it, it's interesting you know the the, the main character patrick uh, he's a world war one fighter he gets summoned by uh, his old like platoon leader, you know, who's Jeremiah Covenant, and he's the last surviving mm -hmm. member of the Covenant family. So he goes to Ireland. It, you know, you learn that he's been banished from Ireland for reasons that are not readily apparent until like much later, and maybe even then it's hard to like figure out because you really have to go into the journal entries um, to to figure it out. But he goes back to Ireland to help his friend because his friend sends him a letter, you know, saying, "Hey, help me out! Like I'm in grave danger." 
Wait, they're in Ireland? I thought he was like in the United States or Canada or some shit. No, man, it's Ireland. <laughs> yeah. Then why is he the only one with a with, with a an Irish poor accent. Irish accent? A, a bad one at that. <laughs> but, yes. But, but an Irish. What? Accent. Yeah, man, they're in the coast of Ireland. That's that's the that's the the, the premise. Mm-hmm. I completely missed that because I was like, he again. This is just blowing my mind. I'm sorry. He has a fucking Irish accent. Nobody else does. No, not at Nobody. all. Nobody. Everyone else just sounds like standard. I mean, it's a British. I mean, I I, I think they have no. like a, no, just just American. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. uh, well, I don't want to say like, like Northern American, yeah. like mid, like typical, like, like radio maybe? American. Yeah. Mid-Atlantic. I, I was going to say it's that it's that's I can't remember what the actual name for it is, but it's that like Central American, just like neutral accent, I think is generally what most of them have, except for like the, the wait staff and the, like the servants on the grounds. Like they all have like varying degrees of British. British. Yeah. It's British. Yeah. It's not Irish. Yeah. Like working class British. Essentially. Yeah, essentially. I mean, so. Yeah. But Jeremiah and his family live there. Yeah, yeah. No, they're from there. They 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 hail from what? there. That's that's their family estate. They, they're Irish, and none of them have an Irish accent. Um, well, as it turns out, this is not the only problematic part of the voice acting. But we'll we'll touch on that in a bit. Wow. But but you know, I mean, and I and I like the plot. You know, essentially the family's curse, but. But then you realize, and, and Clyde Barker is very honest about this, that, that this is literally an adaptation of The Fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. Mm-hmm. And, and, and oh. just, just to give some background, like I, I read this last night. I read The Fall of the House of Usher. It's one of those Poe stories that I had never gotten around to. And as I'm reading it, I'm like, holy shit, like they literally just lifted everything wholesale. Like the main character in, in the, the short story, Roderick Usher, is Jeremiah Covenant. Like Poe describes him and it's literally the character model for Jeremiah Covenant. And he has a sister who, you know, Madeline Usher, and that's Lisbeth Covenant, uh, you know, which is Jeremiah's sister. And she's also described perfectly. And and like her demonic character is the same character that you have like at the end of the story. And, and it's literally the same. Like guy gets summoned by an old friend by a letter like saying bad things are happening sister like goes like starts wasting away and then passes away literally all down to the same thing and and clyde barker is very honest about this you know because this is one of his favorite stories as as a, as a kid but then it just feels like okay so you have this adaptation of of usher and then it's like okay but we need like the rest of the game and and that's where everything goes like off the rails so so yeah i wish i was more literate so i could make the comparison <laughs> I think like it's not Lisbeth because Lisbeth's really a, a minor character. I'd probably say it's more Bethany if the way you describe it, if the if his sister's the main, main antagonist because he has another sister, Bethany, who is more behind everything. Well, the thing is, in, in Usher, I mean, in the short story, there are only two siblings and they're twins. And so I, I feel okay. like with Undying, they split the, the sister character into Bethany and Lisbeth. So, 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 sure. so like some features were put into Lisbeth and some features were put into Bethany and the other siblings like Aaron and Ambrose. I mean, they, they're, they're just like wholesale creations. Right. But yeah. And, and I feel like, again, it's the new things they added that, that really don't feel like they thematically connect. Like, I feel like the best parts about this plot are the ones that were written by Edgar Allan Poe. So, <laughs> So, yeah, some of the problems I did have with the journals, Shane, even though you give them a pass and for the most part, I do, too. And I know as you saying, that's your favorite part of the game is there the lack of exposition in the actual like world itself. Yeah. Makes some serious problems or or even sometimes the journals just don't 
really fit in with what's going on. So the first thing I notice is in the, in the first chapter when you're going after Elizabeth in the monastery, uh, I guess the catacombs, you, all these journals are just in pristine condition from like <laughs> 600 years ago. Yeah. And I like a lot of other games did do a really good job of when you find ancient texts like they're they're torn. You can't see everything or they're burnt. And it's like, yeah, this is just some journal I found on the floor of this ancient monastery. And yeah, it's 100 percent good to go. It's just brown, wrap bound, <laughs> everything. Yeah, it's cool. And it's in perfect English, even though this is written by yeah, folks that probably were in English to begin with. <laughs> Not even Gaelic. It's it's crazy. It's written in American English. I can't. Maybe. I don't know. Then there's some characters that just kind of show up. Yeah. Like Otto, I found I didn't know who the fuck Otto was, maybe just because I just stopped paying attention to the journals or didn't read them all. And then just Ambrose just kind of shows up out of nowhere. Like you're just going through the game and all of a sudden Ambrose shows up, tries to light you on fire and then you're fighting him. So there wasn't really any development of Ambrose himself. And it feels like it's a game that the, the team, you know, was not completely talking to each other. No, like the, the gameplay team was not talking to Clive Barker necessarily. Clive Barker was off in England doing his own little thing. And so it, it feels very disconnected between its disparate parts. And there's a there's a an emptiness in the game world. There are very few character interactions like Chris, you point out in the notes that like the waitstaff just kind of hangs out there to be killed. And it's like, it, 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 it just, it really feels like the, the game doesn't really observe this universe, you know, logic. Um, and, and so that really puts you at a disconnect. It just really breaks the immersion. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And that was one of the things like that I a hundred percent agreed with Chris on here. And it's, it's just, it totally pulls you out of things too, when you're just wandering around this estate right and like there are literal demons just gallivanting about the grounds and people are just still like dusting fucking furniture i'm like what are you doing woman leave like and they and they're so nonchalant about it too like it was well it was right after jeremiah gets killed right and and like he is literally beheaded by his undead brother with a scythe and then, you know, the first thing you see after you have that boss encounter is one of the butlers just like strolls up to you and he's just like, oh, yes, this is most unfortunate about Jeremiah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you have no one to pay you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you have effectively been let go. Yeah, but this house is sweet. So. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think there was only like one or maybe two interactions with the folks like around the grounds where they were just, yeah, the gardener. He was just like, oh, well, fuck this. I'm Get leaving. The fuck out of here. And that also, was it. Everyone else is just totally cool with it. The gardener responds, like, depending upon where you are, it's like, okay, now the gardener is here. And then you go somewhere else and it's like the gardener just respawned elsewhere. It's 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 just there are a lot that's of... The, that's it, the twist. The gardener is actually well, behind the everything. The gardener is behind it all. The gardener in the library with the candlestick. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> The, there's two gardeners in the beginning or the, there's two of them and one of them you can actually save from one of the little howlers mm -hmm. I, I thought it was the same one no th th they have the same I mean, character yeah, I was saying, it's well, the same model well yeah. there you go <laughs> i thought it was the same character <laughs> you can save him from a howler and then he's just like he doesn't even thank you yeah he's he just just, like, okay. just goes back to trimming hedges and shit <laughs> and this is like these howlers just aren't killing them they're eating them yeah yeah and it, like right off the get you're like oh shit like this maid just got murdered like within the first five ten minutes of the games like she gets eaten by this howler and then you go into the kitchen it's like yeah i'm just making meals man <laughs> <laughs> You don't want to know what's in the pies. <laughs> mm. 
you know, work is cheap, so, you know. <laughs> and this is like, I don't know, man, but this is like the emptiest mansion I've ever seen. I, I That's another thing that kind of pulls the immersion. Like, I know that this is like early aughts. You couldn't have like very complex geometry, but it just feels so empty. Like everything just feels like you're just going through hallways. And mm-hmm. and by the way, I mean, we're, we'll get into this later. Like we're talking just about the mansion and the mansion is like the first hour and a half. Like there's an entire rest of the game that doesn't take pl- place in the mansion and it suffers for it. Absolutely. But even the mansion, like which is the one that's most striking, it just feels empty. It just feels like they couldn't really achieve like their conceptual vision. I don't know. And and that just goes along with the with the wait staff as well. It's like what are you dusting, man? I mean there are like there's like literally no furniture here. So. <laughs> I think that does segue great into the gameplay because you can't talk about the emptiness of of the game in and of itself. I can forgive the mansion because it's a big mansion and the dude's living by himself. So maybe the emptiness is 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 supposed to add to the oppressiveness of the atmosphere. I could I can understand the waste staff is stealing stuff. I guess you know they're exactly. <laughs> I could see that. Well, I think they actually they they kind of ex- try to explain that away at the beginning with some of the dialogue with the first like uh, maid that you meet or whatever. She's just like this house is so friggin' big and like we we're, we're low on wait staff, so most of the place is a wreck and no one's touched anything. So just go over here. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the reason for that is because Lizbeth had literally just like invaded like the demons had just like invaded like mm-hmm. the house the day earlier and it was all like a mess and that's what she was trying to explain yeah but yeah uh, but but to your point i mean even if you want to say the the mansion is empty which i can i can buy wholesale the rest of this game and it's mostly because of the pacing which is just horrible is is empty in the areas outside of the castle it's just so quiet and empty and and for the most part is extremely bland uh but yet at the same time extremely narrow and focused and tries to drive you in a certain direction for the most part like there's there's times where it's really well executed but then it just goes into times where it's just like what is what does this game expect me and want me to do and it's just so it it, it feels soulless but not like in a good kind of soulless, <laughs> like not demonic, just not in the spooky kind of way, yeah. not in the spooky kind. Yeah, it's just like it was just like we have some models we put up here and we thought yeah. they look cool and we want you to run through. them. Well, the thing is, is I feel like this game really could have benefited from an editorial pass on some of the yeah. level design specifically. I think we all probably agree on this uh, based on our notes. But, you know, talking about the gameplay like the the intro to this game is pretty strong like it and i mean to, to ozzy's point like that's basically the only part you played and and then you remembered that forever which i think was probably the right choice frankly but <laughs> once you get past the initial sort of like introduction to the game you start to you hit the the first like main chunk of it and i guess you could call it a chapter which is really focused around lisbeth specifically and once you hit those catacombs trying to track her down oh my god the game just it slows to a crawl it's such a slog it goes on for far longer than it should the catacombs while i understand they're trying to make it like you know it's it's a, a maze of dark catacombs that you must traverse like i get it okay like i get what you're trying to do here but at the same time somebody probably should have come in and trimmed some of the fat because 
it felt like it went on for far longer than it should have for no discernible reason. And that I think coupled with the like complete lack of direction that you tend to get for most of this game, I got lost actually. And I had to, I had to look up something because I actually just straight up missed uh, a key that I needed in order to continue on. And I had no idea what to do or where to go. And it was this one specific thing that you weren't really directed to very well. And, you know, I think it's because we tend to, or at least I guess I do, tend to remember the better parts of games that we played when we were younger. Because <laughs> these like extended slog sections that this game tends to have, and the catacombs is not the only one. Those left my brain. I totally forgot that that was a part of this game at all. To me, this entire game was just like all about the spooky mansion and like the grounds around the estate. And like, that was it. And so I was totally taken aback when it was like, yeah, go fuck off to this completely different area. And then also you're going to go in some watery caves to hunt down some foreigners. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Well, this it's a I, pirate cove. Yeah. yeah yes. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't. I didn't remember any of this. Well, but Shane, I mean, you you uh you point out that lack of direction. I mean, I would say that applies to the game as a whole. Like the game yes. really feels like it lacks direction. Like it lacks someone yeah. that stepped in and say and said, "This is my vision. This is how we're gonna achieve it, and this is how we're gonna merge gameplay, story, everything." Like again. For having Clyde Barker in the name, like, I think, honestly, this was, like you said, Chris, this was a Salvish project, and Clyde Barker was, like, kind of brought in to give his name, and also to just, like, consult on some stuff, uh, because he, he didn't really, you know, focus on on giving directions on how everything was going to mer- merge together, and at least I don't think so. And, right. And this was something he corrected, I think, in Clyde Barker's Jericho, which was the other game that he worked on. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, that basically that's the game that he wanted to do from the ground up. And and this game was just kind of like, okay, let me see if I can step in and fix it. But but Shane, to your point, I mean, it, it's not just you. Like, this game has some of the worst level design that I have ever seen. Like it, it's <laughs> it it's it's not helped by the fact that it's broken out into segments for loading purposes. Mm-hmm. Like from a technical point of view, the game is like broken out into chunks. And the problem is that it just never feels like an organic natural space. Like you never feel like the layout of either the catacombs, the mansion or whatever it may be, the priory, you know, with the priests and the like. None of that feels like there's an actual, you know, sense to how everything is laid out. It doesn't feel like it feels like there are just different Legos that never fit together. Mm -hmm. And, And because of that, there's a sense of disorientation. And you can only get so far with saying, well, you know, we're trying to give you like that sense of disorientation that Patrick is feeling. It's like, no, like <laughs> no. you need to give some sense of like place mm-hmm. to the player. And the game just like out of nowhere asks you to like, okay, you you don't have anything else to do in this segment and there's a door and it's locked. What do you do? Oh, actually, you have to go back through this area that you had no idea you had to go back to and find this very, very minute place in the ground to put a dynamite so that you can go into the into the catacombs where we gave you no idea that you had to go to that particular place that was otherwise completely non-decrypt. Like, that's that's how this game is designed for the most part. And they do it again later, too, for uh, when you have to go fight Aaron. Mm-hmm. So there's like this house in the middle of nowhere. And the only way that you can make it past this house is if you use your scry and we'll get to the scry thing later and watch a ghost do something on the ground and then walk away. 
And what you're supposed to do from that inference is you're supposed to put dynamite or use one of your spells to blow up the floor and pick up what they buried. But it, it, it doesn't there's you use your dynamite so infrequently and you use destructive environment aspects so infrequently that I could see people getting completely lost and stuck at that point. Yeah. yeah and, you, and you forget that they exist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and actually, Ozzy, I just want to kind of expound upon your point because it's an excellent one. And it was it, it you described exactly how I felt playing through this game again. And that is that there is no sense of place. Like the fact that you never quite get down in your head the the layout the general layout of any environment that you're in even the mansion like i in most games i i am able to after a little while get a good sense of direction and i'm like oh okay i remember i need to go down this hallway and take this door to get to the parlor or whatever the hell at no point in this game was i able to properly navigate to places that i needed to go because there's just a complete lack of distinction. There's no like good landmarks or anything to help guide you. And there is uh, no cohesion to how the, the the levels are laid out. As you mentioned, it is quite literally, it feels like somebody procedurally generated a bunch of level pieces and then stuck them together. And frankly, even games that purposefully do that, it seems like they tend to do a better job than how they laid these out. And so, yeah, so you get stuck feeling like I'm I'm hope I'm really relying on somebody or something in the game to just explicitly tell me go here because otherwise I have no innate sense of where to travel to. And yeah. the game also does not do that well either. And so you there are many points in the game as you both just mentioned where you end up feeling just totally lost and you have no not even a hint of like what it is that the game expects of you next which is why i think shane that and and chris you made this point in your notes that the game locks you out of areas because it's like the game designers recognizing okay we kind of made like a very nonsensical level design or maybe it was another part of the team that that looked at the level design i was like god this makes no absolute sense at all (laughs) and and they said well you know in order to like lead the player we kind of gotta lock these doors and and make sure that Mm -hmm. he is taken down and guided down this narrow hallway, which makes you think that you're, you actually have a more expansive playground, but particularly in the mansion, it's like, nope, but this is locked. Nope, but this is locked. And so this is the very narrow way in which we have to take you. And, and, and the game kind of works when it's like that, because otherwise the alternative to that is what you find in the later levels, which is like, where the fuck do I go now? Like where, where, what, what yeah. do I have to do here? Well, even in, even in the earlier levels, they'll, the, it's like haphazard. Right. Where like some of the doors will be jammed or stuck, which, by the way, perfect. (laughs) Get used to hearing that for fucking ever while playing this game. But in a Duke Nukem voice, in a way, I mean, it reminded me (laughs) jammed, jammed, jammed. bubble gum. But uh, but no, like, so it's 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 not consistent because sometimes they will do that to try in, in a very obvious way to like sort of herd you down a specific path. But then. Some doors are still left open that lead to places that you don't need to go. So like you still end up getting lost because if you don't know which direction you're supposed to go, which, as we've said, is very hard to discern, leaving some of those paths open and not just railroading you to the next destination doesn't do anything. It's not like you're rewarded for exploration, really. All all you're doing is just aimlessly wandering. 
there aren't even like additional journal entries like you can get from like exploring no. like like all the journal entries are kind of like on your main pathway there are some that you can get uh, later but that does enforce the ex- exploration part it's just that the exploration is so shitty because like okay this game is a first person shooter and we'll get into the shooter eventually but a lot of these exploration it wants you to do is through shitty platforming Oh God! What was it? what was in the water at the time oh. with shitty platforming and first person shooters, man? I, I don't know. <laughs> I blame Half Life for that, honestly. I don't know. I mean, it's so bad. Yeah, but, probably. But Turok did it like in 1996, man. Come on. True. Actually, <laughs> yeah. that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> it, it's shitty platforming was just all over. Thankfully, I don't remember Goldeneye doing it too much. I think that's why it's you know people love it so much. But like you, I, I remember parts of the game where you have to find specific items and it's like locked behind platforming and even just getting out of areas. I remember, I guess the, the priory or the monastery, whatever you want to call it, like to get out of that area, you have to do some platforming that the game has never really explicitly told you you had to do before. Oh my God. The window. Yes. The window. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> dude. Yes. That <laughs> pissed me off so much. Cause I, <laughs> I wandered that entire like monastery trying to figure out where the fuck I was supposed to go. And then I go look up a walkthrough and it's like, yeah, just use the dude's body as a platform and jump out the window. I'm like, who would have thought of that? Oh, and then it wants you to jump on a tiny rail to get onto a yeah. roof to <laughs> navigate ways that you're supposed It never wants you to do this or expects you to. Like that kind of a pathway would be something that you would get, you would do to find like a secret. Yes. In yeah. any There's other no game. Posting. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in this, that was the main path to progress the story. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? And, and Shane, I mean, <sighs> I, I, fe- I feel like you just described, like, I, I try to play these games on, like, Sundays, and it's like, like I said, I have very limited time. And then when I would spend, like, 30 minutes just trying to figure out what the fuck I was doing and I'm dying, I was like, God, so little time when I'm playing this fucking game. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I don't know what the fuck to do. <laughs> but, but briefly getting back to the point about exploration... Like if you don't explore, the game punishes you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's not it rewards you for exploring. It punishes you if you don't explore it the way it wants you to. Because if you don't explore the way it wants you to, you don't get those power amplifiers, which are key to upgrading your spells. Right. Yeah. And if you don't upgrade your spells, you're fucked. Yeah. And you think, well, if I miss it, I just can go back and get it. No, you can't. Because if you go too far, it will lock you out immediately from going back into the previous area. And again, that's just a matter of inconsistency because they expect you to explore the levels fully to find these hidden items that are actually quite important, but then also will present level layouts that kind of discourage exploration because then you just end up wandering around doing nothing productive. Like it's mm-hmm. it's this weird like in between. Do you feel like you know, based on its original, like you were supposed to be like the superhuman type character. Do you feel like this was originally like more of a Doom type shooter where you had all these powers and you had this whole big arsenal and, and you were able to just use it? And and now with this change in like narrative and, and thematic scope, it's just kind of like you have all these powers that feel ancillary. Like mm-hmm. they, they feel like they're all like you know, appendices, you know, they, they're, they're not really used. Like for example, the incantation that gets rid of, gets rid of like spells and whatever, like you'd never really use that. The ether traps, like you barely use that. I mean, you use it once to like take out Aaron, but there's just a bunch of stuff in this game that feels like, okay, we put this in here, but we don't know how to use it. So just, you know, it's there just in case. Well, cause item management sucks too. I had to keep pressing F to, to scroll through items, which is 
it's inconvenient because the text is tiny as fuck. Yep. And it takes a long time to do it. Same with weapons and spells. I think that's where we can kind of get into the shooting aspect about it, like the, being a first person shooter. Well, well, before we move on to that, I just wanted to touch on what Ozzy's talking about with like the the spells yeah, sure, and sure. weapons and things, because that it's 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 the same exact issue that I had with Alice. And I don't know if this was just a coincidence or if there was some like weird game design decisions that were made in the early 2000s. I don't know, but it's it's the same exact problem, which is they had a lot of neat ideas for weapons and abilities. um, And but functionally speaking, you only use maybe two or three. Like if we're talking about the spells that that you learn as you as you go along, I don't know about the two of you, but for me, I used almost nothing except for obviously the scry because that's like required for yeah. most of the game. And then I maxed out shield because that's basically an I win button because you just have that up all the time. It costs almost no mana to cast and it keeps you, you know, immune to damage as long as you keep casting it. And occasionally the ectoplasm, but that was just sort of like a nice addition to, you know, your firearms. And that was really it. Like, I I didn't really use anything else unless the game specifically wanted me to. Like when you first get haste, they're just like, hey, you, you got that spell now. Here's some cliffs that you need to jump on that you totally need to use haste for. Here's some shitty platforming. And then that was like pretty much it. And it's a bummer, too, because same as I mentioned in our Alice episode, I think there were some pretty creative ideas that went into some of this stuff, but there's just no practical use for them. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and, and for, for my part, I mean, you said inventory management. You had to basically manage three inventories. You have to manage your weapons, which you scroll through the weapon wheel with uh, the, the middle wheel. Mm-hmm. And you have to manage your spells and you have to manage the rest of your inventory, which, by the way, your inventory is tied to your health. Different bullet types, which make no fucking point whatsoever, basically with the small font that, that Chris just mentioned. And I tried, I just use ectoplasm. Basically, I just use ectoplasm because, you know, in order to change the scry, like you had to use like either three or four, you know, like the, the keys. And um, it's it's not intuitive. And so if you get attacked by a howler in the middle of it all, since I was using ectoplasm, like you had to like quickly switch, you know, from scry or whatever other uh, spell you were using and so like like again i mean it feels like just because you have all these keys on the keyboard doesn't mean that you should use them all mm-hmm. and and it just feels like you're constantly juggling and trying to remember okay is it f is it you know q in order to you know press on the health you know it's it's just all over the place and you know this is a game for example that you know would benefit from if you have health it would just automatically use it for you you know and so that you don't have to like you know tr- try to like scroll through everything to find the health and press Q in order to, you know, get, uh, you know, health. It, it, it's just the, the inventory management in this game is absolutely horrid. Um, but again, I mean, I, I hate that this is turning into a hate fest, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there are legitimate points, though. Yeah, I'll say something positive, though. I mean, it, it's not necessarily the game's fault because think about it. Halo came out in earlier that year, I think, or just before this game. It came out like January of 2001. I can't remember it, but it was around that time, right? All apologies to Halo, because I think I kind of crapped on that game. I'm now seeing exactly what Halo did, because Halo is one of the first games I remember where you can only carry two weapons at a time. And it was just shooting for a first person shooter. It had your, you know, recoverable shield and you picked up health on the ground. And I looked at that as old hat. But now when you play this game and you compare it to other games like Alice and we compare it to games like Quake and you look at, you know, other first person shooters of the era 
you can tell just how much Halo was evolving first person shooters, you know, combat evolved. I guess it's appropriate. <laughs> so say, would you say it evolved <laughs> combat, Chris? Yes. Okay. I, I look at that and I look at a game like uh, Undying and Undying seems like it's just trapped in an era where it was just kind of living up to the status quo. You could tell this game started development in 1999 because it feels like a game that was made in 1999. It feels like a 99 game. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I was thinking about this last night as I lay to sleep, actually. I've been thinking a lot about this game, weirdly enough, as I go to sleep. Maybe it's because of my anxiety of coming on the episode and trying to contribute. But um, but I've been thinking a lot about it. And it's like, yeah, it does feel like a 99 game. Like, it doesn't feel like a 2001 game at all. And, and even Halo, I mean, Halo has its languid pacing in the middle sections and the like, but, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. but it's nothing like this. Like it, the game never really breaks into something else. It's just kind of like a straight corridor and, and just like a monster closet. Like literally there's one point where there's literally a monster in a closet. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and, and it just like keeps pumping out. And the enemy variety is a big issue. Like, you know, most of the time you're just getting howlers. And it feels like they're endlessly respawning. That's because they actually are in some spots. If you if you don't progress to like get to the next little like story blip uh, or like that finding a scry th- point or whatever, they will just keep throwing them at you. I actually tested that on purpose in a in a specific area, and I would stand in, in a the hallway. I imagine. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the catacombs. Well, there is that, but my my particular spot was um, uh, the 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 present day monastery before you go back in time. And there was one like hallway that led up to a staircase to where you would see a scry point to get like a key and a book or something. And I just stood there and howlers just kept pouring down the hallway for like 10 minutes. Yeah, I must have killed like 15 at one point in the catacombs. And then I realized, okay, yeah, they must be endlessly respawning. Mm -hmm. And and it's just and it's the, the thing about it is that I wouldn't mind it if they had a little bit more variety in their attack patterns, but they literally all follow the same attack pattern. They get close to you and then they jump at you. And and that's for every single encounter with a howler is going to be like that. Also, just as we're talking about that, by the way, I just want to point out that I really hate the fact that most of the AI in this game, including the howler jumps, unfairly anticipate where you're moving. Yeah. And will like jump to where you're going. They will track you. Yeah. They will track you. Oh, my God. <laughs> I will say, okay, because we're shitting on this game too much. The we're gunplay not is we're really not no. selling. <laughs> the, the gunplay itself is pretty good. I will say, like, once you find your ideal setup, your ideal combination for what weapon you want to use and what spell you want to use, killing things is pretty seamless. I mean, it takes away from the whole entire horror element because, I mean, I played it on easy, so I can imagine on normal is probably a little bit different. But playing it on easy, um, most most enemy types go down in one hit once you know what you're supposed to do and how to take them yeah, out. Yeah, no, man, it's not uh, normal. It's not like that. It, it, it's not like no, that. And sense. the problem is with the howlers, like they're the the enemy rig. It's too thin. It's mm-hmm. too small to adequately target. And so that's why I never used any of the actual weapons, like the handgun. I mean, I use the handgun every so often, but I couldn't <laughs> use the 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 shotgun because it's only two bullets. And they need to go down with more than two bullets. And usually you're missing. And so then you have to go through a, at least a three-second reload animation where you're trying to avoid yeah. and dodge the, the howlers. And usually you have at least two, sometimes three, sometimes four. Um, so what I did was is I just did a, a, a combination of the Tibetan hand cannon, which kind of freezes the enemies or at least you know slows them down, and the ectoplasm. And it would just turn into, like, if you would hear me clicking, it would just be like a mad clicking of, like, just throwing ectoplasm everywhere. <laughs> but you can hold it down. 
Oh, you can. <laughs> yeah. No, but if you hold it down, I mean, isn't it, doesn't that just charge it up? No, uh, no. The, for the Tibetan hand cannon, it charges it up, but even that has a brief loading okay. time. But for your ectoplasm, you can hold it down. And I actually did not waste that. less mana and <laughs> fires quicker. I did not realize that, but it would turn into like, and the ectoplasm is so loose. And I feel like that's a recognition of the fact that it's not easy to target in this game. It, it's really hard. And so the ectoplasm is just very loose. It just targets the general area and, and that's it. You're good. So what I did was I just maxed out my ectoplasm and I just would just like spam the ectoplasm oh, yeah. left and right. That's that's all I did. So I don't know. I mean, it sounds like like Shane, you didn't use the ectoplasm that much. So it's I, I really didn't. My my tactic was totally different. Like I said, I basically immediately maxed out shield and had it up 100 percent of the time and then just like went around with the pistol. But you don't get shield until halfway through the game. That's a thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. But I mean, <laughs> I also didn't really need it before that, honestly. And then for yes. the rest of the game, were you uneasy as well? Yes. Yeah. No. Okay, no. Because I remember. One, sucker. <laughs> no. I remember how this game went, and I was just like, no, no, I'm playing this on easy. I don't want to. I don't want to do that to myself. But, but no. Yeah, that was my tactic because the you're right. The shotgun. Shotgun. Listen, man. Shotguns in FPSs should be awesome. That's like that's like a sacrosanct like video game rule that shotguns need to be cool and effective. And unfortunately it is not here. It's woefully underpowered for what it should be because Ozzy, you're like right on the mark that I would try to use the shotgun. Um, but given that it's, you know, a, a double barrel and you have to reload after two shots and it just doesn't do enough damage, even at point blank range to most things, all that's doing is just opening you up to those, you know, those tracked attacks that they like to do. And so actually just using the pistol, if you're going to use a firearm is, I think, more effective because at least then you can fire off more shots and it can hit enemies in the distance. But then you have like limited you have limited ammo, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that's and that's the problem. Like on normal, they they don't go down as easily. And so you need to like shoot them like four times. Like if you shoot them in the head, directly in the head, they may go down with one shot. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's fine, but it's hard to get it because the head is like this tiny pixel, you know, essentially that you have to hunt really small hitbox. Yeah. It's a very small hitbox. And we haven't even talked about the fucking skeletons, man. You know, like the skeletons, fucking skeletons. skeletons. I mean, they track you with the fucking arrows that they shoot at you or like the spears and they constantly, they don't die unless you have the scythe, which only comes like more than halfway through the game yeah fun fact about that by the way they also don't stay down permanently even with the scythe like you also the only way to truly put them down is to use incantation the spell yep that's it yeah 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 i mean and and that seems like it's a broken thing like the incantation spell is basically meant to resuscitate you know the enemy so that it fights on your side but the problem is the enemies like disappear like within like 10 seconds mm-hmm. and yeah. uh on top of that it, it it doesn't they don't really do much once you so it's like you have to scroll through the spells you have to change your spells to get the incantation spell to try to get it within the 10 seconds that you have to like put the spell on this enemy managing to get the hitbox just right in order to you know race it back so that it nominally fights for you it's just bullshit also fun fact about that one by the way if you accidentally hit an enemy that you've like enchanted or whatever with your incantation to fight for you they will get knocked out of it and just attack you again. So it's a broken game. Is that what you're telling me, Shane? <laughs> By the way, the, the scythe itself, I love the scythe. Yeah. I thought the scythe is a really good weapon. In fact, it's overpowered, at least in easy mode. 
But but to your point about the skeletons, first of all, fuck the skeletons. I didn't even fight them in one part of the game. I don't think you're. I would just to. run through them. I would just like yeah. fuck it. Yeah. I would say you mean that like pitch black pit that there's just like twelve oh, yeah. of them yeah. in. Yeah. 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 That they keep like respawning yeah. in. But like one of the things I noticed, and if you can, you're going to have to speak to this on normal because in easy mode there would be health packs everywhere. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, if there's as many health packs here as there are in normal or at least a comparable level. I think this is in a way the developers admitting that the the enemy balance and enemy combat is a little screwed up because you're going to be taking way too much damage. There are quite a few on normal, but 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 I did have to reload a lot, you know, just because I, I mean, there were points where I had no health pack whatsoever and I was just relying on like 40 percent of health. Um, so yeah. so I, again, I feel like I would have had more quote-unquote fun if i had put this on easy um mm. but on normal it's just the hitboxes are too small the enemies are bullet sponges there are not enough there's not enough ammo um there's not enough health um so it's it's just the, the game design is just very poor uh, ultimately um again I, I hate to put all these bad things into perspective i i don't want to hate on this game because again i mean i think the the atmosphere is good you know i mean mm. a lot of the times it's a good mm. atmosphere it's just going to that point as well, though. I mean, there's only so many times that you can have a howler spawn behind you, you know, and there's only so many times that you can hear the same howler noise before you're like, OK, let me look back because there might be a howler behind me, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's just the, the game runs out of its bag of tricks. Like, like there's just a few tricks that it has and it just keeps using it over and over again, which, again, is why the pacing feels so off. I think it's one of the big reasons why the pacing feels so off. Yeah. And the entire gimmick with the scry too, because we didn't talk about the scry because the scry like shows hidden plot elements that you're supposed to pick up through the game, like give some backstory. Most of it's just worthless trash and doesn't make me want to use it, especially if you increase the gamma, the, the scry, which seems to be the main crux of this game. It's his inherent ability. It, it pretty much goes to the wayside unless you get into a situation where you absolutely need it. Yeah, I mean, most of the time you put Scry, it's just like, okay, I'm seeing this character models walk around the abbey, <laughs> and that's yeah, it's, it. <laughs> it's terrible. Like, and it's only like for 15 seconds, and it's just like, okay, I just saw like monks move. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't make any any logical plot sense, and and that's the thing. I mean, I wish that this game would have had more like interaction with characters. I wish that this game would have been more than just like you're in a corridor and you're shooting monsters in a closet. Like that's it. Yeah. Like the game would have been benefited from just having more plot development, having more character development, making some sort of cohesion out of your main character who is completely incoherent. I mean, like he doesn't even point out, like he doesn't even acknowledge that, okay, I just like was lifted up in the air by magic and I just gained like superhuman abilities. Like it's just like- Must be science. It's like, nope, I'm, I'm still a skeptic. You know? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> now, I think before we probably move on to the, the next topic here, I, I think the scry thing is just another case of, unfortunately, a wasted opportunity because it could have been really cool and, and there are some points where it is like when you're when you're in the mansion and again i feel like by and large the the mansion itself is probably the best environment in the game there are some spots where it's not told to you and it's not even necessary for you to use scry but if you do you'll find some like cool little like creepy flavor things. Like there are certain paintings in, in the mansion that if you use scry, when you look at them, they change and they get all like super creepy looking and stuff. And like, that's cool. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Like that, there should have been more of that. 
like that yeah. using that ability to like see, you know, sight beyond sight and like looking past the veil or whatever you want to call it. That should have been implemented more um, because that was a really cool use of that ability. Shane, you, you should have done the voice acting for this game. I, I, I really think that you. Yes, Shane. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think that was a missed opportunity. They should have contacted Shane Kosky. I mean, you know what? If teenage me would have totally been open for that, I'm sure. Speaking of which, mm. we can go into the sound and talk a little bit about the voice acting, which we've kind of already alluded to. Yeah. So Shane, how about you take this one? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, so the music, first of all, the soundtrack is pretty solid. It's not anything stellar. I don't think it like is a standout necessarily, but it does what it needs to do. I think it sets the tone and the ambiance pretty well. Um, and also this is thing, this is something that I have mentioned in other episodes and I will continue to do so because I think it's important, particularly in thriller slash horror pieces like this. And that is the, uh, effective use of silence. I yeah. actually think that this game does that very well. Um, it's not, you know, super in your face and just like you know, doing a blah thing every time something happens. Yeah. And so actually the, the music itself is rather sparse and I think that's very intentional. Um, so that helps to build the tension, uh, which is great. So kudos to them on that one. I will say if we're kind of segueing into talking more about, uh, the voice acting as part of the sound design and, and what have you, I feel like maybe Chris feels better about this than I do because uh, I forgot apparently how not good most of most (laughs) of the voice acting in this game is. Lisbeth is a particular standout in being a total fucking cringe lord. All of her lines are delivered like she is you know, an actor in a haunted house somewhere. Like it's a banshee, just so supposed to be a banshee of some sorts. And, and right. Yeah. Yeah. And she, it's just all of her lines are delivered. So like ham fistedly that I could not take it seriously. Well, same with Aaron. Yeah. It's like Saturday morning cartoon villain level of just like cheese. And I'm, it's, I love it. And, and it goes again yeah. to, to the, the, the break in the, the narrative and the gameplay, because when you read about Lisbeth in the journal entries, it feels like she's kind of this melancholic figure that mm-hmm. just kind of wastes it away over time. And, and then when you see her, she's just like this, I don't know, like annoying, obnoxious, like taunting you like, oh, my God, you know, whatever. She's Rita Repulsa. That's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what she is. Like, she'll just show up in the catacombs and be like, you'll never find me <laughs> and then runs away. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? She thinks of herself as dark and mysterious, but in actuality, she is Rita Repulsa. Also, do, do, you, do you know if you guys have any Irish listeners? Because I don't know. I found Patrick pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, let's if if you are Irish, we want to know how bad Patrick is. And just we're not don't don't go and play it. Just find it on YouTube and let us know how bad his accent is. We want to know. I had to look for the voice actor because I was like, is this guy actually like I, I he has to be American? And yeah, it's like this this guy from LA that just had like five or six roles. So they just like dropped this guy from an agency and it's like, oh man, this is my really big gig. And uh, he just, you know, like looked at the Lucky Charms commercials and I was like, okay, this is good. Uh, I'm fine with this. (laughs) It could could be worse. It could Could be be like crazy taxi. 
Oh, don't man. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, so by and large, I actually found that somehow I feel like the wait staff and the servants around the grounds actually had some of the best voice acting. And, and that like one salty sea captain guy at the lighthouse. I think that was probably it. Yeah. Even the main character, as we were just saying, it, it kind of ranges from like passable to like very, very stilted. And it's not consistent, much like the rest of the game. But but no, I mean, the the soundtrack, like I said, is probably the the highlight here. I mean, the sound design for the record is actually really good. I know, Chris, you're you're probably going to talk about this a little bit more in yeah. a second, especially playing this with like, you know, surround sound headphones on or something. They did a pretty good job with that. A lot of the atmospheric noise and um, sound effects and stuff are done very well. OK, so I'm going to get into this and I'm just going to say this. You can shit on the voice acting all you want to. Yep. But remember, this was 2001. Yeah. And so, up until this point, the standout for voice acting in survival horror games was Resident Evil and Silent Hill. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, go ahead and shit voice acting all you want you're to. trying to make. Just, just go for it. Just say how bad this is and then go play those games and be like, oh, yeah, well, no, yeah still bad. Okay. Jill no. sandwiches. But you would think, you know, with a, with a team that was put together by Steven Spielberg, I mean, like, you would think that there would be... It wasn't, but <laughs> like it'd more. been so long. I, I wouldn't call this Steven Spielberg's team. And even by that point, I mean, this was right around the time that you could say video games were being accepted as mainstream. So just trying to put a quality product out there for someone who wasn't an edgelord teenager was something that was beyond their scope. They were still trying to appeal to 15 and 16 year olds. Yeah. People like me, you and, and Shane. I mean, I know you're 12 at the time, but still same age range. Right. So they're not going to try to put a Hollywood level of of effort into making sure the voice acting is good. That being said, I think it was really good for a 2000, 2001 title. I think it could have been much, much worse. And we saw that in almost every other survival horror game of the era. So like good on them. I do like cheesiness in my survival horrors. I appreciate it as long as you get everything else right. I really think they did in terms of sound design, obviously not gameplay. I just don't think that fits here, though. I, I just don't feel like it fits because everything else about this game is played straight, right? Like everything is is communicated in a way that like they're trying to say, like, this is supposed to be scary. This is supposed to be spooky. You are supposed to be unnerved by this. It worked in Silent Hill, too. <sighs> I guess. I don't know. I just don't feel like the cheese fits here, but it's not overly cheesy, but it's mildly cheesy. It's mild cheddar. In Silent Hill 2, <laughs> I think that part of the, the, the appeal of it is that the voice acting was so off that it added to the weird Twin Peaks yes. type of feeling. Of yes. It. Sure. You know, exactly. that, that something was off with all those characters, like you couldn't trust them. But to your point, Chris, I mean, I, I, I do think that it could have been a whole lot worse. Like, it's not the worst voice acting I've heard. There's an issue, as Shane mentioned, with immersion, and it doesn't feel like it fits. But then again, that's everything with this game feels like that. <laughs> you know, it just feels yeah. like a bunch of disparate parts were put together, and they had to cobble together a game that just had to be out for release because EA had spent too much money on it by this point. Um, because it was in development for like three years, and and it just didn't make sense to keep pumping money into it. Which is a long time back then. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of the other sound design, like I was playing this with headphones and. You know, I don't know. There's, they're, they're definitely not stereo headphones, but I always knew where you know the howlers were. Or an enemy was based off the sign design. Stereo works fine. This is the way you should be playing this game anyway, just for the additional ambiance and just be a little bit more spooky. And, and that's the thing when when the sound design is on point, when the, the pacing is doing what it's supposed to do, 
it generally does have some spooky vibes to it. It does. It sent little chills down my spine and not just the beginning of the game, but much later in the game when, when the pacing kind of picks up and gets better again. So because of that sound design, I would say the sound design is actually my favorite part of this game, the standout for the game. And I think it actually overall saves it in an otherwise game that would have been completely forgettable. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I I agree. The sound design, I mean, I wish that there was more variety in the sounds. I wish that I would hear more than that one howler sound that keeps coming back. Yeah. But, but you know, in terms of stereo surround, I mean, it does feel like you're hearing where things are coming from. I also played it with headphones and, and it does do a good job of identifying where things are coming from. So I think in that, in that point, I mean, I would take that as a, as a W in, in, in this game's favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's especially sure. creepy when they want you to look around with your scry. I love it. Yeah. See, I'm all all about it. Well, we did skip the graphics. We normally do the graphics before the sound, but uh, that's my fault. Sure. (laughs) They're fine. They're fine. We can talk about that. (laughs) I mean, we could probably cover that pretty quickly, I think, right? I think so. I think so. I think Chris has a more positive opinion about this again. Yep. They feel kind of average. I mean, as someone who played a lot of PC games in this era, I, I kind of feel like they're very middle of the road. Like they they nailed the atmosphere, which, again, uh, you know, I think is really to, in my opinion, I think that's actually the strongest suit of this game just across the board is the fact that they managed to really get the atmosphere of it down from from all aspects. Um, and so and this this also applies here with the graphics, which ultimately I think is probably one of the more important things. But especially having just played another like 2000 2001 game in alice comparing the two the actual textures and models here are i feel like almost objectively worse i would agree with that it's 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 particularly evident when you have like a lot of the close-ups in the cutscenes. yeah on the characters like they're the 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 model textures are super super blurry and some are far more egregious than others again i know we're talking about the year 2000 so you know proper lip syncing to voice acting and that stuff wasn't quite there yet and so it's not unique to this game by any stretch of the imagination but it's kind of hard to look at now where um like people's mouths and faces contort in these weird ways to try to simulate talking and some of the movements that character models make are like not wholly unnatural and like not in not in the supernatural kind of way in the like we're we're trying to make this move like a person to the best of our ability and you know haven't got quite gotten there yet like there's no mocap in this (laughs) for sure Mm -hmm. so i don't know i i I felt very middle of the road about the graphics. Oh, and one of the things that I pointed out as a strong suit in Alice, which was their excellent use of uh, skyboxes, is not present here at all. <laughs> uh, like, it's very obvious that you are inside of a geometrical shape with some clouds painted on it. I agree. Basically, in every single level that you're in. Yeah, and and if you go to some yeah. places, like you could literally see, like if it was a matte painting, you could see. And this is more noticeable, I guess, nowadays with like HD monitors, etc. And you're running mm-hmm. at a max resolution. But but if you go to like the edge, you could see like the actual like 
you know, just painting. It was just like a picture that they put there and it's very blurry and, and it's meant to look like this far away place that, that, you know, it's part of this Irish countryside, but it doesn't really, I mean, it really breaks you out. But again, I mean, this might be just because we're, we're running this at max resolution 20 years later. Sure. Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, I mean, I feel like the graphics are, are, are fine. I mean, I, I feel like it, again, it does feel like a 1999 game and, and, um, I feel like it's it's similar to other games that it came out around that particular 1999 period, like um, Half-Life, you know, but even Half-Life had like more geometric variation, like it did feel like the world was more populated and that came out in 1998. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I wouldn't just say that this game gets a pass just because it's 2001 and, and particularly with something like Halo that was already in development by this point since 1999 as well. You know, you look at Halo and it's like, oof, like it just feels like a different generation. Like it literally feels like this game was a generation behind when it came out. I I would tend to agree with both of you. I do think it's it's a standout because it it hasn't aged as poorly as a lot of games from that era. I think I think the atmosphere helps it out a lot. I think the fact that it's not very populated helps it, at least on my experience, be run very smoothly. I think you make a fantastic point. We're we're playing this in up, you know, uprest, and so a lot of these textures weren't designed for our you know 1080p screens. They were designed for probably like 480i or 480p. You know, whatever the case might be for a VGA connection back in 2000 2001. So yeah, when you get close to a lot of these textures, uh, specifically doors, you can tell it's it's blurry and it's probably not intended to look like that. Or a lot of the paintings, and I can understand that. But in terms of when I kind of look at it, 2001, I think middle of the road is perfectly acceptable for a game that's budget was probably middle of the road as well. I don't think mm. EA gave this team a lot to work with, and I think they made the most of it. And the fact I can go at it, I can look at it and not just vomit all over the place <laughs> is is a testament to a team that probably did the best uh, with the resources that they could have. Again, this was a virgin effort for a lot of these people. Yeah. yeah. Taking that to consideration, I think that the graphics are actually... All things considered, again, if you're from an outsider and you don't know all these things, yeah, I mean, it's it's strictly middle of the road. It's not an outstanding point at all. But all things considered, yeah, this is this is really good, especially with some of the uh, creature models. Now, some like the howlers look like ass, and there's these snake monsters, and when they die, it's funny as fuck because they just kind of shrivel up and into a polygonal like catastrophe. I think like the character animations themselves aren't aren't that bad. I think they they hold up to the test of time for the most part. And uh, I think when like these Cthulhu monsters, these annoying fucking Cthulhu monsters who throw bombs at you later in the game, I think they actually did a really good job with that. Uh, now, like the final like boss character models, they're, they're pretty jank. Um, <laughs> they're pretty polygonal and bad, but uh, the other general monster designs are, are pretty good for the most part. I, I also love Chris, how they have this uh, animation when you're killed and the howlers just like get into position like you know that you just died and so you're mm -hmm. kind of like in a daze and then the howlers get in position in front of you and then they like take off your head or something like that or like oh, the, the death animations are cool yeah they're, i they're, agree yeah they're, they're cool it's just it's funny how they just like get in position it's like okay here's here's my <laughs> here's my point you know here's my mark okay <laughs> um all right now i take off your head take off your head <laughs> yeah I, I think for the graphics too and i think ozzy brought this up earlier in the episode is I feel like if you didn't have a top of the line computer, you could have played this game back in 2001, which is something you couldn't say for a Halo, which is something you certainly couldn't say for a crisis. If crisis was out around this time, I don't know. 
you know, EA was doing that. It had a varied level of games, uh, varied levels of games that you could play, if, even if you didn't have a top level rig. And this is one of those games. You know, you had the Sims that anyone could play. You had this game for someone who might have that in- entry level computer with a basic graphics card. And I think, you know, that's 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 something that needs to be said, because not everyone can afford a especially back then, like a twenty five hundred dollar computer. So you could play Halo. It wasn't uh, it's, it's not that feasible now. It certainly wasn't that feasible then. Maybe that's part of the reason why it has a cult appeal, uh, Chris. I mean, maybe it's because more people were able to play it because of that. Well, certainly not by the sales numbers. Well, I mean, they pirated most likely. So. Oh, probably, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, they, they had some LimeWire or something like that, you know, running. That's probably why. I mean, like, you could actually play this game back in the day. Um, I, I don't know because I, I didn't run it. I never ran it. But um, but it's, it is a good point, Chris. And, and it's probably a point in its favor as well. Like, it could probably run with a, a decent medium-sized rig back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So I guess we didn't we didn't have a lot uh, of miscellaneous stuff uh, to touch on here, but there was one thing I guess I wanted to point out uh, just as like a little little bit of flavor, I suppose. So in the brief history, we had brought up the fact that the main protagonist was originally supposed to be basically like a superhuman with uh, supernatural abilities and, and what have you. Evidently, his name was going to be Count Magnus Wolfram, which is Love it. It's a strong name. I like it. Fucking love it. But of course, Barker himself kind of rejected that idea uh, because he wanted the the protagonist to be somebody that would be much more relatable. And so that's how we got, you know, Patrick Galloway. Just the interesting fun tidbit here, though, is that the character model for Count Magnus Wolfram is actually still in the game. The 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 Sranti shaman that you see at the beginning who attacks Galloway like in your uh, sort of like flashback cutscene um, with the with the Gelzibar stone that is actually Count Magnus Wolfram's character model. So yeah, I mean, I, I I do feel Shane like going back to this original history. I mean, Clyde Barker was the one that moved it to Ireland, so maybe you know that's the reason why Chris like the dialects are completely inconsistent um, <laughs> because this was a late edition. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But but I do want to know. I mean, I would love for someone to like ask steven spielberg like in a q a or something it's like uh steven uh I, we know that you worked on uh clive like barker's son dying way back when and uh i i would love for him to respond if he actually remembers at all because it feels like this game was supposed to be like an indiana jones type of game with like the superpowers and this was like an occult kind of figure like hunting for the occult and stuff like that in an indiana jones sense and and it was meant to be a franchise and and it just when all the changes were made to it, it just couldn't carry that weight. Um, and all that baggage just stayed in many ways when the scope of the game changed. So I, I would love to ask Steven Spielberg, like, what was your original vision for this game? You know, what did you originally want to achieve with it? And, and, and I'm pretty sure he's going to be like, I don't even remember that game. I don't, I don't, I don't I know what you're game. talking about. Yeah, I was going to say, he's going to be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> And I, I would tend to disagree with the the voice direction being something that happened before Clive Barker got there, considering that Clive Barker was one of the voice actors. For yeah, the yeah, he was from Ambrose. Yeah, 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 he was Ambrose. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that that he he was, you know, that this was done before. I'm saying that maybe it it contributes to the inconsistency in and oh, I'm sure you know and, and who was supposed to be Irish or not. Um, and the only <laughs> Irish accent is Patrick's, even though they're all in Ireland. 
Right. In a horrible Irish accent at that, we think. If you're Irish and we're wrong and he does a fantastic but job. But he does have a lucky stuff. charm on him. So and it's green. <laughs> it is green. It's terrible. Uh, all right. Well, I suppose we probably ought to start wrapping up with our thoughts about uh, whether or not this game still holds up today. So, um, you know what? I think let's let's start with Chris. We'll we'll end with our esteemed guest. So, Chris, what are your what are your thoughts? You, you still think people should play this today in, in 2021? You know, I when when before recording this episode, I was going to give it a soft no, just because I said if if you like these older FPSs, you might enjoy this. But after discussing it a little bit more and getting into the nitty gritty, I have to give this a hard pass. Mm. It's it's not worth going back to. That doesn't mean there aren't some parts that you see what this game is supposed to be and what it could have been like the particular in particular, the the opening is is really strong when this game wants to funnel you in a certain way and do and go in a certain direction. It shows its strengths. And that was at the beginning, really directing the player and where it wanted you to go and and kind of hand holding you along at a frantic frenetic pace and then you get that again later in the game on the way to i think fighting aaron uh when you're running through the corridors of the mansion and and when it does that it does a really good job but the problem is it doesn't do it nearly often enough and out of the six and a half to eight hours that you'll be playing this game about six of those you'll be wondering why the hell am i playing this game so no (laughs) this game has not held up okay well i'll go ahead and take it next so I, I kind of feel like I, I almost wish I hadn't suggested this game for an episode <laughs> because going back to it now, you know, 20 some odd years later, I feel like it's kind of ruined it for me a little bit. And that doesn't always happen. Uh, you know, I, I feel like there are some games we've talked about that have been, you know, near and dear to me when I was younger that we can go back to and be like, yeah, you know, it's, it's got some warts, but it's still, it's still pretty good. It's still pretty good. It's mostly how I remembered it. Um, this is not one of those games. So the story is good, which again, as I said, probably should not be surprising given who was involved. The atmosphere when it does things right is, is proper spooky. It, it does what it needs to do. Um, but I feel like that, which was really the standout piece of this game, is just constantly held back by some very inscrutable game design decisions, most notably just the absolutely horrid pacing, which we've covered at length now. I'm honestly not really sure if I would recommend it today, particularly because there are so many just superior alternatives, even in just the somewhat narrow like niche of horror fps like fear immediately comes to mind that is now granted of course it came out later but like that is a superior horror fps in just about every conceivable way and so i feel like if somebody had just done like a supercut and also if anybody's listening to this that has the time and the acumen to do it please go ahead because i'd love to see it but if you just did a supercut of like all of the cutscenes and some of the more like salient gameplay points, like some of the better moments of the gameplay and just put that together in like a nice little, you know, cinematic package and throw that on YouTube, like that would be the best way to experience this game because then you get all of the best parts, which is the story, the the plot and the overall atmosphere um, without having to actually play the game. <laughs> 
So Ozzy, how, how do you feel? I will wrap this up with, with your thoughts. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, there's not a lot that I can add to what you and Chris have said. I mean, no, I mean, I remember messaging Chris and I really was excited to get going with this game. And I was like, yeah, man, I made some headway. And then I just hit a wall and I was like, at some point I kept trying to push through. And then I was like, I can't do it. Like, I can't keep playing this game. Like I, I'm having a horrible time. And I'm horribly anxious that I need to finish this just to say that I finished, I'm dying. So, <laughs> you know, I, I pretty much came into this, you know, with Virgin Eyes, not because I hadn't known about the game, I knew about it, but but I was really kind of going into it, you know, like expecting whatever. And I just couldn't do it, man. I mean, I, I, I there's just the design decisions, if you can call them that, are just so baffling. And and the game is just so poorly directed, so poorly paced that it's just hard. And and as you guys were talking, I was thinking, would this game benefit from a remake? And I know that a lot of people talk about doing a remake. I mean, maybe if Clive Barker like was able to like control the whole thing and was able to lay out a vision and based on what he already learned from like Clive Barker's Jericho and the like, maybe. But the game has so much baggage from like the the remainder of what the game was supposed to be that if they were to do a remake, it would just be an entirely different game. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just like, is it even worth it at that point? At that point, just make something new. You know, maybe do an adaptation of The Fall of the House of Usher. You know, maybe take that that inspiration and do something else with it. I mean, it is in the public domain, so just fuck it, use that. But I, I don't think that even with a remake, I think this game would, would benefit from it. I mean, they would just have to redesign the levels completely. They would have to like strip away some of the powers. Again, it would just end up being an entirely different game. So so no, I, I wouldn't. I mean, look, this game goes on GOG for like, for good old games for like 150. I think that's what you picked it up for, Chris. So yeah. if you want to just experience the first like half hour in the mansion and just stop right there, you'll be fine. You know, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll get like a taste of the good parts of this game and, and that's it. But to actually carry on and keep playing this game, it's going to be just fucking brutal. I mean, that's, that's how <laughs> I felt, but you know, some, some people may differ. I mean, this, this game does have a cult following. So, but again, it may be as Shane, you've pointed out the rules tinted glasses of remembering just the good parts. Mm-hmm. So I would ask everyone that still feels good about this game in the year of our Lord 2021 to go back to it and see if it holds up. All right. Well, I think that about does it for our uh, surprisingly brutal discussion <laughs> of Clive Barker's Undying. I think you were guys were kinder to Bubsy, actually. <laughs> I, you know, I think we I might think have we, been. I think we were. <laughs> yeah. That was a little unexpected. This game is better than Bubsy, though, if anyone is curious. It yeah, is better than Bubsy. You, you wouldn't know that based on our <laughs> discussion right now. But yeah. But yeah. So, uh, Ozzy, thank you for for joining us on this episode. It was a pleasure to uh, to finally have you on a, a mainline episode. You've 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 graduated. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be waiting for my medal. Uh, be waiting for my recognition. But thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. It's been a hoot. Uh, unfortunately, I had to play on dying to to get on the episode. But, uh, I think that was a small sacrifice to play. <laughs> but thank you guys. You guys are doing a great job with the podcast, and and I hope you guys continue, you know, to grow. Um, so thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, man. Thank um, and so before before I do our little spiel, is is there anything that you would like to to throw out there to the people listening? Any any plugs that you've got? No, nah, man. I mean, honestly, like I, I used to have, you know, like I used to be very active on Instagram. I used to be part of the podcast of the region for gamers. I did that for three years, you know, kind of burned out a little bit. I have a baby on the way. So 
you know, I'm, I'm not really going to have a ton of time. So, so not a lot of side projects besides work. So, um, just listen to the region free gamers podcast. You know, I, I, I love, you know, the podcast is still kind of our baby, you know, I mean, we, we built it, you know, from the ground up and, and they've just continued to do like really amazing things with it, you know, after I left. So they just brought on Mike Doucette, you know, Mike, you know, he was on like a, a couple of really fun episodes when I was on. And I, I kind of call him my spiritual successor because he, uh, like me, is a connoisseur of bad games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I feel like he's going to bring a lot of that, you know, uh, energy to the podcast, you know, just like talking about games that go beyond, you know, your typical Mario, Zelda, so on and so forth. So so go listen to the podcast, go listen to the King of Games, you know, contribute to Retro Hangover, contribute to Region Free Gamers, give them a review. And uh, yeah, that's that's basically my plug, man. Go listen to other people's stuff. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, as far as we are concerned, uh, if you are listening to this, then that means you found us. So hi, hello, welcome. We're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, if you'd like to engage with the show and, and by extension with us um, and in, you know, some other different ways, we have made that available to you. And not only that, but we've made it very, uh, very easy for you to, to navigate there because it's all in one place. All you need to do is go to linktree slash retro hangover. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash retro hangover and choose the destination that suits you best, whether that is our public discord, a Twitch channel, our YouTube channel, our social media accounts, or if you'd like to support the show, uh, you know, in a more concrete fashion, as Ozzy mentioned, you can check out our Patreon as well as the merch store. Uh, it's all there for you. So um, please uh, feel free to go and peruse. And Chris, would you like to take a moment to tell the fine people about our stream Sundays? Yes, everyone. If you go to twitch.tv slash retro hangover uh, for at least until like mid-November or December, you can Watch Shane play video games. I'll be back at some point and listen to his luxurious and arousing voice. Ooh. So you can find that at 9 p.m. Eastern time at twitch.tv slash retro hangover. And we hope to see you there. We have fun discussions and everyone just talks about how they get moist to Shane talking. <laughs> all right. Well, I suppose with all of that being said, until next time, play with your scythe sliced joysticks. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in head first with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.